If you brought a Bible, I want to ask you to go please to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5 of 1 Peter, and we're going to begin reading at verse 6 this morning. Last week, we began a sermon series called Taming Lions. Have you ever been surrounded by lions? Maybe you're surrounded by lions this morning. What do you do when the lion roars? What do you do when you're surrounded by enemies? Well, the Bible doesn't leave us helpless. Aren't you glad about that? The Bible doesn't leave us to guess. In fact, the Bible gives us clear instructions about how to survive a lion attack. And we find them right here in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. It says, be sober, pardon, verse 6. It says, therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober of spirit. Be on the alert. For your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father, we honor you for your word this morning. We honor you for the power of the word. And I ask that you would allow us to be receptive to the voice of the Spirit this morning. I pray that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God. And that you would anoint the hearing of this congregation. That they might receive the word with gladness in their hearts. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, you may be seated this morning. What do you do when the lion roars? The Bible tells us many things about the enemy. And it uses many word pictures and analogies to describe the enemy of our souls. But this morning we have read in 1 Peter that one of the metaphors that God uses to describe our enemy is the lion. And so this morning as we discuss the taming of lions, I want you to be very aware of who your enemy is. Many Christians live their life without the knowledge of the fact, the basic fact that they have an enemy. That there is a decided, active, demonic, devilish enemy whose intent is to destroy the life and faith of every believer. Jesus said the enemy came but to steal, kill, and destroy. That is his Agenda, that is agenda for every single life. You might say, no, pastor, um, the devil and I are on good terms. 
I paid him off. No, friend, you're not on good terms. You haven't paid him off. He hates you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to see the end of God's faith and purpose in your life. And in 1 Peter, we find the Apostle Peter writing a letter to people who are being persecuted by every form of cruelty that you can imagine. The Roman Empire and its emperors, including Nero, had come up against the church and had come up against Christianity in such a strong way. There was a violent attack against the message of Jesus Christ and many of the, our Christian brothers and sisters were put into the Colosseum and were torn apart by lions as a method of persecution. This morning you may not be facing those kinds of lions, but I'm sure you're facing some enemies in your life. You might be facing lions that were trying to dishonor God in your life, trying to steal your faith, trying to capture you away from the, the, the path that leads to godliness. And this morning, I want you to know what God's Word says about you and that situation. Because you're not alone. First of all, you're not alone because you're not the first person that the enemy has ever attacked you're not the first person the enemy has ever tempted and caused to fall. You're not the first person the enemy has tried to destroy a marriage of or a family. That is encouraging to us this morning because it means that there have been some survivors in the past who have overcome the strategic attacks of the devil and are still standing. And if you're one of them, say amen this morning. So just let me encourage you that if you have ever been or are being or will be someday surrounded by lions that God has a word for you and for the situation that you are in. Now the Apostle Peter, first of all, begins by telling us that in order to attack, uh, in order to survive a strategic attack of the enemy against us, that we must first do this. He says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Now, that's a bit of a long phrase, but I want you to repeat it with me this morning because I think it's important for every person in here to know these words. Say it with me. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. You see, many times when we're attacked, many times when we come under pressure from the enemy or circumstances or situations that come into our life, our temptation our, uh, our reaction is often pride. We often take the stand that says, I can handle this. I know what I'm doing. I've licked this thing before. And that pride sets us up for falling. That pride will always set you up for falling into the enemy's trap and becoming his prey. The enemy would love nothing more than for you when you are attacked to rise up in pride and try to fix the problem yourself. And I know that all of us have done this in the past, and maybe we didn't call it pride, but that's really what it was. God says this, on the other hand, if you want to survive an attack, you have to humble yourself before God. Humility basically represents the fact that you are acknowledging to God, God, this enemy is bigger than me, but it's not bigger than you. And you're saying to God, God, I trust you to step into my circumstances and bring deliverance to my life. And when you humble yourself before God, God steps in. The Bible says that God looks far away at the proud. When you stand in pride, you tell the devil, come on, I got this. The enemy and you are on your own. God's not involved in that because God looks far away at the proud. 
But when you are sitting in the valley and you're sitting in there in ashes and you're like Job and you're at the end of your rope and you humble yourself before God, God comes and sits in the ashes with you and he brings deliverance to you because you have honored his power and might in your life. So the scripture says, humble yourself. Put down your pride. Put down your self-reliance and trust God to get involved. Trust God to solve this problem. Then the scripture says, humble yourself before God and cast all of your anxieties upon him. How many of you have ever had anxieties in your life? You've ever had some worries, some, some concerns in your life? Well, the Bible says that we are to cast our anxieties upon God. Now, in the Greek, that word to cast is literally a picture of a man who takes a blanket, a horse blanket and a saddle and casts it on a horse. Now that saddle is on the horse. The man no longer has to carry that blanket or that saddle because now it's on the horse. God says, put your cares, your concerns upon me. Just the way that that, that um, ranch hand or that cowboy puts the, the blanket upon the horse. So God says, put your cares upon me so that I'm carrying them and not you. Because you see your anxieties were not meant to be carried by you. They were meant to be cast on God. Say amen, somebody. Now, on one occasion, I went on a, on a day trip, uh, maybe a couple days with some friends, and we went into a city, and there was going to be a lot of walking, so I decided to take my backpack. And um, I quickly noticed that nobody else took a backpack. And you know what happens when you're traveling through a town or city, maybe New York or Washington, people start buying souvenirs and stuff. And, you know, one guy bought a, a commemorative mug, and then he got tired of carrying it. So he said, um, Isaac, would you mind putting this in your backpack? So, you know, I'm a good Christian. Right? I said, sure, just put it in my backpack. Well, by the end of the day, I'm carrying everybody's junk all over town. And I'm like weighed down by their, by their stuff. And I'm thinking, how come you didn't bring a backpack? Why don't, you, why don't you take my backpack and carry it for a little while? Well, God says to you this morning, I'm the one with the backpack. I want you to walk free. I want you to enjoy life. I want you to have a smile on your face. I want you to have no pressure on your shoulders. So let me carry your burdens. Let me carry your worries and your woes. Because guess what? You can't do anything about it anyway. This is a problem for God, remember? And if it's a problem for God, you have to cast it on him. Now, Peter goes for, forward and he says, now, be humble and cast your cares on God. But then he says that we are to do something else. He says, be sober. That means be serious. Take seriously the matter of spiritual things. Now, that doesn't mean we have to be serious in church. Always have a lemon face. Never smile. Never laugh at a joke. Always be real reverent. No, that doesn't mean that. It means take God seriously. It means when God speaks, you obey him seriously. It means when God gives you an instruction, you take it seriously. You don't let it be a, just a passing thing. And so if you're going to attack, if you're going to survive an attack, you have to take God seriously. God wants you to take his word seriously because there's power in it. God wants you to take prayer seriously because there's victory in it. God wants you to take his house seriously because his presence is here. Come on, somebody. God wants you to take seriously spiritual things. I've seen some of you get real serious about some stuff. Some of you get real serious about the Cowboys. And, and you get real serious about the Spurs. But I want you to get serious about God. I want you to decide that you're going to take God seriously because you want God to take you seriously. 
You want God to do like Daniel and, and know that when, when you're in trouble that he's going to favor you and support you because you have honored him in all of your ways. And then Peter says, not only be sober, but be watchful. Keep your eyes out and open. Why? Because you have an enemy. Keep your eyes open because there is a strategy of the devil against you and your marriage and your family. There's a strategy against, uh, of the devil against your life. Maybe you're single. God says, watch your singleness. Watch that life that you're living because the enemy is crafting a plan to destroy you. If you're married, he says, watch your marriage. Keep your eyes open. Make sure that you have a discerning spirit. You see, friends, we can't be discerning apart from the help of the Holy Spirit. You know the Holy Spirit will tell you when something is wrong, even if nothing looks wrong. The Holy Spirit will let you know that person does not belong in this house. The Holy Spirit will tell you, you got to tell your, your children not to hang out with that boy. And th th you may not even understand why, but the Spirit is letting you see something and discern something that no one can see in the natural. But when you're watchful, you're protected. Why do we have to do these four things? Well, because there's a prowling lion. There's a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And that word literally means that the enemy is looking for a strategic advantage. That means that the devil is looking for the weak spot in your life so that he can attack. The enemy wants to attack you, but he's going to look for a spot that's weak. He's going to look for a spot that is vulnerable to his attack. And there are four places that this comes most commonly, and you need to be aware of them, so uh, follow with me, please. The first one that is a, an advantage to the devil is spiritual dryness. All right, say that with me, spiritual dryness. You have to be very careful not to get dry spiritually. You see, because when you get away from God, you get away from the Word of God, you get away from prayer, you get away from worship, your spirit man starts to dry up. And that, that weakness becomes an advantage to the devil. When you are spiritually dry, when you're not drinking constantly the water of the spirit, the enemy has a place of attack. He has a place that he can get you down. Now just notice with me, if you look at your life and you look at the moments when you have suffered the most by an attack of the enemy, I can almost guarantee you it was a place where there was some backsliding going on in your life. A place where you had stopped doing the things that you were formerly doing with God. And friend, when you do that, you say, you know what, I'm not going to go to church every week. I'll just make it a bi-weekly thing. And then it becomes a monthly thing. And then it becomes a every other month thing. And before long, you have to send me a picture so I remember what you look like. And, and th th you get further and further from God and from his word and from the message of the gospel that's being preached on a, on a weekly basis. And your life starts drying up. You start relying on yourself. And it becomes a place of vulnerability for the enemy to attack. And the second place the enemy looks for an advantage is when you are a straggler. You know, a straggler is somebody that gets away from the crowd. It gets away from the group. And in the, in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, about 2 million people, traveled for 40 years through the desert. They were led by Moses. But the scripture says that the enemy rose up and attack the stragglers. That meant that every so often, you know, they'd set up camp, and then Moses would say, blow the trumpet, we're moving the camp. And people would fold up their tents, they would move on 
But some of them would say, oh, my goodness, not again. I just put up my tent. I just set up my camp. This is the best place. I like it here. I don't want to move on. And the cloud would begin to move. God's presence would begin to lead the people to a new place. And the stragglers would stay behind. And they would become vulnerable to the enemy. Can I just tell you that's exactly where the lion wants you? The roaring lion, the roaring lion wants you alone. He wants you isolated. He wants you to think, you know what? Nobody cares what I'm going through. And when you're attacked, when you're under pressure, it's easier to go by yourself and just say, you know what? I'm going to handle this by myself. But when you get isolated and you get alone, you become the prey of the enemy. You become a prey for Satan to come in and attack. He loves to get you by yourself. You know, when you're alone and you're having a pity party, you're talking to yourself about how bad your life is, there's nobody there to contradict you. There's nobody there to say, hey, wait a minute, that's not true. You know, and, and the devil loves to attend pity parties. So you're sitting there and you're thinking, I'm, nobody loves me. He says, yeah. And he, you say, I can't make it. He says, yeah. And, and you say, I'm going to die in this mess. He says, yeah. And he just continues to reaffirm the lies that he has put into your heart and into your mind. That's why you've got to stay in the body. You've got to stay in the house of God. Why? Because there's people here who've been in the same place you are right now. You think you're the first one who's ever had a problem in your marriage? Guess what? Other people have been through that. Maybe you're single and you say, I'm the first one who's ever gone through this and, and, and the frustration of being alone. Can I tell you, there's other people in here who've been through that. And maybe you say, you know, Pastor, I've been waiting a long time for God to provide financially. I just don't think he's ever going to do it. Guess what? There's other people in here who've been through that. And when you get around the body, the body can tell you, you know what? Hold on. Trust God. God's going to bring you through. God's going to solve this problem. Come on, somebody. And the body is able to defend you. Against the strategies of the enemy. Now that leads into the second advantage that the enemy wants. And that's the advantage of division. If he can divide us, he can attack us. Say that with me. If he can divide us, he can attack us. You see, that's why the enemy wants you to be fighting with your husband all the time. And your wife. And your children. And your pastor. But I don't get into fights, all right? You just know that. Because if he can divide us, he can attack us. If there is division in a home, if there is division in a church, the enemy has a strategy. He has a place of vulnerability in which he comes in and attacks. That's why Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 says this. Be angry but sin not. How many of you have heard this verse? Be angry but sin not and do not let the sun go down on your anger. Uh-oh. Now, what does that mean, Pastor? Well, he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger so that you won't give an opportunity to the devil. Now, you know this. Every time anger comes, division happens. You know, the hermana burns the tortillas in, in the morning. Division happens, right? Because the, the brother's like, you burned the tortillas. Now what are we going to do? And, and division comes into the home. Or, or uh, the, the husband comes home one day and he forgot to buy the milk. And, and mama gets mad about it. Right? Well, what are we supposed to do now? You have to go back to the grocery store. And anger creates separation. It creates division. So God says, you know what? You're human. You're going to get angry from time to time. The emotion of anger is going to happen in your life. Guess what? That's natural. He said, but don't sin. And don't let the sun go down on your anger. What does that mean? That means don't stay mad. Tell your neighbor, don't stay mad. 
You've got you've to settle that thing before the sun sets. Now, I've been watching some of you. You wait till the last minute of sunset before, before you repent. But he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Why? Because if you let the sun go down on your anger, you go to bed in division, guess what? There's going to be a lion in your door in the morning. The enemy is going to have an attack, a strategy. He's going to have an advantage in your life. So if, if discord and division comes in, you've got to put it out quick. you got to solve that problem quickly. Get God involved. Forgiveness, repentance, whatever it takes. Swallow your pride. Humble yourself. Say, I'm sorry. Say whatever you got to say, but don't let the sun set on your division. Are you hearing me? Because that will become an opportunity for the devil. Now here's the last one. Is that the enemy is looking for disobedience. Disobedience is a door for the lion. When you and I disobey God, we are opening up ourselves for an attack. Listen, life's hard enough when you're trusting in God and obeying him. Say amen, somebody. Life is challenging enough. The Christian life is challenging enough when you're doing it God's way. You can only imagine how many attacks are going to come into your life when you try to do it your way. Disobedience opens the door for the devil. Because you're walking outside of God's protected place. And you're saying, I'm going to handle this on my own. And when you disobey God in your finances, the enemy has an advantage in your finances. If you disobey God in your relationships, the enemy has an advantage in your relationships. If you disobey God with your, with your decisions, the enemy has an advantage there. So obedience is the best policy. You've got to be like Daniel and obey God whatever may come. Say, God, I'm going to study your word. I'm going to live by this book. And if this book says do it, I'll do it. If this book says don't do it, I'm not going to do it. Because I want you to be in my life. I want your blessing in my life. And God will honor that. Now, the scripture tells us that this lion is prowling around. He's looking for an advantage. And the Bible calls him a roaring lion. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. Why does the devil roar? Well, the devil roars, lions roar, because of two reasons. Number one, lions roar because they want to assert that you have entered into their territory. All right, so when, I want you to notice this. When the lion starts roaring against you, it's generally a sign that you're in the right place doing the right thing. Oh, you didn't like that, I could tell. You said, Pastor, I would rather not ever hear that lion roar again in my life. But let me just tell you, the day you wake up and decide to take what God has given you and to take back what hell has stolen from you, there's going to be a roaring lion because he wants you to know this territory belongs to me. What you've got to understand is roar or not, I am going to take back what God has given me. I'm going to assert what God has put into my life. Listen, the lion roars because he's threatened. The enemy comes and whispers in your ear negative things, thoughts of discouragement. Why? Because you're threatening him. Because you are rising up to assert your influence as a child of God in the kingdom of God in a world that is desperately in need of light. And so the lion roars. Another reason the lion roars is because he wants you to think he's real big. You know, a lion's roar is 114 decibels. That is 25 times a power, a gas-powered lawnmower. That's really loud. 
And the lion wants you to think, I'm really big. That's why the enemy comes, and when he roars in your ear, he makes you think that this problem that you're in is really big. He uses words that roar like cancer, divorce, death. And he starts roaring in your life because he wants you to think that those things are in control of your life. Let me, let me just let you know this. When that lion starts to roar, you have to remember this, that he is not bigger than God. Say amen, somebody. I said he's not bigger than God. Listen, the lion might be bigger than you, but the lion isn't bigger than God. And God is in you, and if God be for you, then who can be against you? And when you are standing in that confidence that God is great, you're going to notice that that lion is really not as big as you thought it was. I saw a picture uh, of, a, of a kitten that was standing in front of a light, and its shadow looked like a lion, but it's just a kitten. That's often what the enemy does. He's there. He wants you to think, I'm big. I'm in control. I'm going to destroy your life. But think about it like this. If he could have done that, he would have done it already. If the devil could kill you, he would have killed you already. Come on, somebody. If he could destroy you, he would have done it already. Guess what? He hasn't done it because he can't do it because God is on your side. So the lion is going to roar. But you and I have to have this confidence, this assurance that God is on our side. And when we humble ourselves before God, we acknowledge God's role in our life, God is truly going to be on our side. Now, I was reading uh, this week about how to survive a lion attack. And uh, you might say, Pastor, why would you care about that? Because outside of a zoo, if I ever run into a lion, I want to know what to do. And I read last week how God's servant Daniel ended up in the lion's den. So what do you do? This you, you should be asking me right now. Pastor, what do I do when I'm surrounded by lions? What do I do when I hear that roar? I heard that this morning and I almost ran. What do you do? Some of you right now, that's your spiritual life right there. You're hearing a roar, and it's terrifying you. The devil's telling you, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to destroy you, I'm going to take your children, I'm going to destroy your marriage. What do I do, pastor, when I'm surrounded by a lion? Well, the first thing you do is you don't run. Now, guess what? I read that, and I said, no way, Jose. God gave me two perfectly good feet. If I see a lion, I'm going to run. But they said this. They said a lion can run 50 miles an hour. The fastest human only runs 127 miles an hour. And he's an Olympic gold medalist. And, and I have not even been to the Olympics. So they said don't run because if you run, you're going to die tired. That's what they said. When those lions are roaring. Now... The Smithsonian Institute said don't run. But guess what? God's word says the same thing. God's word says resist. Resist the devil. Don't run. You're going to be tempted to run. Because the roar of the lion is scary and frightful. But God said don't run. Israel saw Goliath and ran from him. 
Abraham saw uh, famine and ran to Egypt. Naomi and her family saw famine. They ran to Moab. God says to you, don't run. Because if you run, you're going to lose this fight. God said, don't run. Instead, number two, stand firm. Stand still. That's what the scientists tell us. If you're going to be charged upon by a lion, they say, stand still. Guess what I read in the word? God says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am in control. Let the lions roar. Let them roar all they want. You stand firm. Stand still. Why? Because you have within you the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is greater and he is stronger and he is able. Come on, somebody. You have the victory. The last thing they say is don't ever turn your back. You're going to be tempted to run away. It said, don't turn your back. You know what the Bible says about that? It says the same thing. Why? If you look at the armor of God, God gave us armor for the whole body except the back. Why? Because God never intended for you to cut and run. He never intended you to quit. He intended you to stand firm and hold the sword of the Spirit in your hand. And guess what? When the lion starts roaring, I want you to roar back and start roaring the Word of God and say, look, devil, no weapon formed against me will prosper because this is the inheritance of the children of God. And you settle down that devil because when you are surrounded by lions and you stand firm in your faith, guess what? The lion tamer steps into the arena just like we saw in Daniel and the lion's did that Jesus walked into that lion's den so Jesus steps into your situation when you humble yourself he steps up he settles those lions those roars and those voices and gives victory to those who call on him can I tell you this morning don't run don't quit don't stop believing don't stop praying. Stand firm. Stand still. Just as the nation of Israel on the banks of the Red Sea, God said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. This morning, God says to you, stand still and see my salvation. See me work and get involved in your life. Are there lions roaring in your life? Are there lions roaring around you? Can I tell you this morning? God's got it. God is bigger. God is greater. God is with you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? Would you stand with me this morning? I want to invite the elders to come just like we did last week. Prayer prayer team members if you would come too we're going to stand here in this altar and we're going to agree with you in prayer this morning brother Bill would you come please there might be some situations in your life that are scary and they are frightening and they're big but they're not bigger than God sister Shalise would you come too and I want you this morning, if you're surrounded by some lions, I want you to come and get into prayer with one of these in this, in this altar this morning. And then I want you to find a place to kneel and just get before God and say, God, I trust you. Humble yourself before him. You know, this morning...
God wants to silence the roar of that enemy in your life. And he wants to give you victory. You might say, Pastor, addiction is roaring in my life. Temptation is roaring in my life. Cancer is roaring in my life. For it doesn't matter what's roaring. The lion tamer is here. He's going to solve that need according to his will and by his power. Father, in the name of Jesus, we humble ourselves this morning and we acknowledge that you are sovereign, powerful, and able. That nothing is too difficult for you. We invite you now to come and silence the voice of the adversary against your church. And we receive by faith the miracles which you have promised to those who believe. Would you come if you need prayer, if you want prayer for any reason at all? Maybe you say, Pastor, I really don't want to pray with anybody in particular. Well, just come into this altar. Find a place to kneel. Humble yourself before God. Acknowledge His control over your life. You're not alone and you're not going to be defeated. There's a victory in your future. I prophesy to you this morning, there's a victory in your future as you humble yourself before God.